It is written, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives. You just got to ask. And everyone who seeks, finds. You just got to seek. And for everyone who knocks, the door is open. Do you believe that? What do you want to ask for? What do you want to seek after? What do you want to knock through? Oh, Father, we ask for air conditioning. Don't really think that you're appreciating the vibe of faith and spirituality I have going on here. But whatever works for you. Uh, we are askers. And uh, it has been said that sometimes in life you get what you tolerate. Uh, sometimes in life you get what you ask for. Father, we ask for more this morning. We ask for more resources. We ask for more opportunities. And we ask for more faith and courage to do what we ought to do and to be who we are in Jesus' name. Uh, I think we have a message of grace and a life of action. What do you think? I've been thinking about that uh, a lot this week. I think the kingdom of God is conceived in grace. You know, grace is God's uh, outrageous generosity. It's getting, it's getting what you haven't earned. It's getting what you don't deserve. Sometimes escaping what you do deserve. That's kind of be mercy. But, you know, the kingdom of God is conceived in grace. We have a message of grace. God loves you more than you think. You know, God is with you right now. God forgives you. The only issue is do you accept it? It's a message of grace. Then we have a life of action, and action is where all the faith is. That's where all the trust is. Grace and action, or you might conceive of it as uh, grace and, and courage, I think, you know? There's the, the grace edge of our life, and then there's the courage of our life, which is almost always measured in, in terms of action. Uh, I've been learning uh, a lot recently about cross-country running because my daughter Jojo has gotten involved with, with cross-country, and, uh, and uh, it's been a, a meditation for me this week. And, if, if you're gonna, this is her first year, so she doesn't know. She just sort of goes out there and runs with courage, runs as hard as she can. But you're running for like two or three miles in a race, right? So on one hand, you have to just go for it. On the other hand, you have to have grace for yourself because if you just run full out the whole time, then you just, you know, you break in, in, instead of bend. And a successful race in cross country is courage to just go for it, and then grace to be patient with yourself and to just sort of take it as it comes. Uh, one of my hobbies is, is knife making because I'm just that kind of guy. <laughs> Sit up straight. I make, I make knives because my hobby is knife throwing, and that will be an illustration for a different sermon. But, you know, if, if you're going to make a, a, a sturdy knife, um, you, get, you get a piece of steel which is hard, but when you make a knife, uh, the trick is not to make the steel too hard. Or actually what you want when you're making a blade is you want a hard edge to the blade. You want the edge of the blade to be as hard as it can be because then it holds an edge, then it stays sharp, and when it penetrates something, you throw it and it penetrates something, the edge doesn't, doesn't just bend. But you want the core of the knife to be relatively soft so that when the knife hits, it absorbs the energy a little bit. If the knife is hard, too hard all the way through, it breaks. Or 
you know, the sword breaks if it's too hard all the way through. You want a hard edge and a soft core. There's a lot about life in that. Don't you think? You want a really hard edge, you want a really soft core. You want to be a person of tremendous courage and action with a heart of grace. And I think that's where uh, the balance comes from uh, with us. The thing is, in life, I think a lot of us tend to emphasize one or the other, often to the detriment of one or the other. We're like all softness and no hard edge. Or we're all hard, hard edge and no softness and, and flexibility. And either way, you get into trouble. If you're just all grace and all, I mean, which is wonderful, you know, but you've just got that soft heart, you're all love, you're all acceptance, you're all sort of taking it as it comes, then you never accomplish anything. Uh, you know, there's no edge to your life. There's no action, right? You're not really testing courage. You're just sort of embracing with love, which is great. On the other hand, if you're all courage, all action, all hard, hard edge uh, in life, uh, and, and no softness, then you always come across as either, well, one or two things are going to happen to you. You're going to become very mean, or you're going to become very afraid. You're going to be afraid of breaking. That's really not what the sermon is about, but that's pretty good. Life concept, right? Um, where are you on the spectrum? Uh, are you really good at being uh, soft-hearted? Are you really good at being hard-edged? Um, really, we want to be both. I may not know the details and the challenges, challenges of your life, but I know that the key to your life lies in moving forward. Uh, and I know that the purpose of your life lies in being a godly blessing to other people and influencing them to move forward with God. That's the hard edge bit. Motivated by a soft heart, but you've got to have the courage and you've got to have action if you're going to have a penetrating, useful life. There are wonderful, powerful things ahead for us. There are wonderful, powerful things ahead for you in your life. If you believe that, say, Choo-hoo. In fact, you may very well already have a decent sense of what these good and fruitful things are for you in your heart. In fact, you may already have tasted them in some measure. True? Raise your hand. It's like, you know what? I, I kind of do know what I'm about, and I kind of have experienced some of that. What I can assure you this morning is that there's more. There's more. You're going to have to be hard-edged about it. You're going to have to have courage and take some action. My question to start is, are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking down doors if you have to? Uh, conditioning time. This is the active sign. Right? We're coaching. We're coaching. So everybody loosen your shoulders. Because ultimately, it's not the truth in your head, and it's not even the desire in your heart that works. It's taking action that works. So we're always going to practice a little bit, taking action. Values, no matter how strong, they don't accomplish anything without a culture of action and accountability. We're here to help each other to actually live out the purpose that God has for us, right? Are you thinking right, or are you thinking, oh, no? Which one are you thinking right now? Fantastic. Uh, a uh, writing implement, pencil, pen, paper, or smartphone. You need one of those. 
If you don't have one, <clears throat> steal the smartphone of your neighbor. There's grace. Take action, there'll be grace later. All right. Did chaos kick your butt this week? And if so, how? Did chaos kick your butt? If you were here last week, uh, you know what I mean by that. If you don't know what I mean by that, check out the sermon online. Did chaos kick your butt this week? And if so, how? Write it down. Make a record. Write it down somehow. That's your action step. Write it down. Why do I have you write it down? Makes it a little bit real for you. A little harder to just slough off. All right, who here feels a little stuck? A little in life, you're just kind of, you know, blah, just kind of stuck. Who here is afraid to raise their hand? Fantastic. Come on, guys, show me. Who, who here just feels a little, a little, little stuck? Uh, who here wants help getting unstuck? All right, go ahead, stand up. Introduce yourself to hundreds of people. Excellent. We're friendly. Uh, John, what, what's, your, what's your vision? What, what are you about? What do you feel stuck in? You can't, get, you can't get through. What would you like to get through? What would you like to see in your life this coming month? More courage for what? To reach others. So you want to talk to people, you want to witness to people, you want to have a discipleship conversation. Do you have one or two specific people in mind? Yeah. All right, say their names. I will not repeat them because we won't make a record on the video, but... Okay. Got someone specific in mind. And what have you experienced in that relationship so far? Lots of love. Yeah. You get discouraged and you can't get through, all right? So tons of grace, tons of softness, not enough hard edge, uh, just to kind of paint a, a picture of it. Uh, what aren't you doing? You're not having the conversations with him. Uh, what uh, would be a good way to start that conversation? Open it up? How? What would you say? I love you and because you've known him so long there's a pattern there, right? How many of you appreciate that problem? It's like you're someone that you really love that really loves you it's been going on so long and there's just kind of a pattern. There are rules in the relationship that are, that are hard to break, right? Um, and so you want to have the conversation about exactly what is going to make it work, do you, do you think? And uh, John's a very soft-hearted guy. He said love about six different times, right? Uh, obviously, there's a great relationship uh, there. So it sounds to me like you've got all the heart Right? You got all the heart. And what we're looking for is just uh, the force and, and, and the breakthrough. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray for John for a second.
Uh, we pray for our brother uh, John in this situation, Lord, so, so soft-hearted and so willing. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give him uh, penetration, kingdom penetration in this relationship that he's holding before you this week. We pray, Lord, for the power of witness. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be present. And John, in the name of Jesus, I just bless you with a story and a testimony uh, that's going to help. This is what has made a difference in my life. Can I help you with that? That's what you say. Let your kingdom come, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. It's beautiful. All right, so what we've done there is just sort of blessed a brother in a kingdom mission, right? And uh, established some encouragement slash accountability, because what am I going to do next week when I see John? Oh, we're going to talk about it, aren't we? You know? Because we're in this together, right? And that's one way we can help. This relationship has gone for years and years, and I believe that Jesus has more in it, right? More fruitfulness in it. And so there's a place of, of breakthrough. There's a place where we need an edge. Uh, the question that, uh, that John is wrestling with, and the point that he's going through is a common one for a lot of us, right? It's like, well, we've We've, we've done a little bit here, we've done a little bit there, but what next? What is the thing that is going to bring uh, the, the breakthrough? And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. There are no magic formulas uh, for that, but uh, I know Jesus has taught us uh, a few things about how to move them forward, right? How to just get uh, to that next breakthrough step. So specifically today, uh, we're going to talk about making invitations and offering action steps. I love these, uh, these make it real and do something moments in life. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, when uh, com commentary on, on my, my upbringing, when my dad was teaching me to drive, uh, we kind of lived out in the country, and we were driving down uh, the open freeway one day, and I was like, I forget if I was 14 or I just turned 15, but I was, you know, still a little bit young for learning how to drive. And he was talking about, yeah, you know, you ought to be learning how to drive, and I don't want you to learn to drive one of those fancy, uh, you know, automatic transmission cars. I want you to learn to drive a real car with a stick shift. And we were driving this old pickup truck uh, that, that he favored. And he thought a little bit, and then he pulled over onto this country road, this country dirt road, and he got out of the truck. I was sitting there next to him, and he said, get in the driver's seat and drive. Uh, pick me up in a few minutes. And that was how I started to learn how to drive. I was like, I don't know how to drive. He said, how many years have you been watching me drive? Take a little spin. I'll let you know how you do. Uh, and that, so I've obviously never forgotten that moment. Why didn't I not forget it? Things just got real, right? Things just got real. Um, one of the things that my dad and I did together, we loved to sail. Uh, we'd eventually build a sailboat and sail it uh, um, in, in the, along the west coast uh, mainland. And I remember him teaching me to sail. We were 
we were sailing a, a moderately sized boat. It was about 30 feet long. It was just me and, and him on the boat. And uh, he was you know, teaching me how to set the sails and to steer a course and something like that. And there was, there was a buoy nearby, one of those big floating platforms. Uh, and so he said, um, you know, pilot the boat next to the buoy as close as you can. So I did a really good job, and I piloted really close to the buoy. And he got up on the shrouds of the side of the boat, and when we got back by the buoy, he stepped off. And then he said, come back and get me. And this is exactly the same technique, right? But now, now I'm in a boat, and I've got to set the sails and come around. Uh, I've remembered that moment. Why have I remembered that moment? Because things just got real in that moment. And there was a lot of great things that, that went into that, you know? It's like, obviously, at this moment, I need, I need some hard edge, right? I need some courage. I need some faith. I need to make this work. Or dad's going to die. Um, I'm sure it wouldn't have been that bad. I could have just dropped the sails and have him swim to me. Um, I remember that moment 25 years ago, right before I proposed to Sonia. I remember thinking, we're on, we're on a mountaintop because I'm just so romantic. <laughs> and you guys, you remember that moment right before the proposal? What were you thinking? In some way, shape, or form, you were thinking, this is about to get real, <laughs> weren't you? Those are, you know, I kind of enjoy uh, those moments. Uh, some of us shrink away from those moments, but for all of us, those are powerful moments, right? Because there's, there's an action step in those moments, right? There's something to do. S suddenly, irrevocably, and clearly, you know, there's a, there's a call to action. And those are the moments that really release life for us. And those are the moments that really release the kingdom for us, that really release life with God. Um, we had a, a friend uh, in Boston uh, when I was uh, there for a while in academia, and a uh, cool guy, a decisive fellow. I will tell you what I mean by that. Um, he uh, was reaching an age where he'd been dating some women, wanted to get married, and he took out this uh, one woman uh, from church that seemed a particularly likely prospect. And they just had a great evening of honest conversation. And then it was getting toward the end of the night. And she freaked out a little bit. And she's like, you know what? I just, I just don't want to date anymore, right? I don't want to be in this if it's not going to go forward. And our friend Brian said, well, I'm not looking for the back door. Will you marry me? They've been happily married uh, for almost as long as we have, 20-some 20, 20 years now. Things got real all of a sudden. And I think she had the harder job that night. I think it was more difficult for her to say yes, um, because at least he had a moment to focus. Uh, but I'm not advocating hair-triggered proposals on dates. <laughs> Just to be clear, that one worked. Uh, but. Uh, but there is something unhealthy about too much dating without marriage. Um, in relationships and in life, if you know what I mean, after a point, it dulls you. 
You know, it takes your edge away if all you're doing is testing and preparing and waiting and not acting. Then you lose your edge in life. There's something unhealthy about too much thinking about it and not enough following through on it. If you think about it too much, then your chances of following through just go down the drain because, because you just lost your edge. Right? You're demonstrating lots of flexibility, lots of soft, but, but no penetration in life. And, and there comes a point in which that starts to weaken you, if you know what I mean. Uh, there's, if you're an athlete, there's something about too much conditioning, too much practice, and not enough competition. Because the competition is what makes it real. And there are a lot of athletes that uh, we used to call them practice geniuses. They were great practicers. They were great in the gym, but they were lousy on the field. It's because they never got the hang of being real. Right? The, the pressure would cripple them. Um, you can get so used to getting ready that you never get to it. That can happen sometimes in life. Are you following me? Give me an, give me an amen. Uh, this, goes, this goes for us as disciples in the Lord, and it goes for those we're trying to disciple as well. If there's too much helping along and not enough challenging, right, not enough making it real, then you'll actually cripple your, the person that you're trying to help, if you follow me. There, there's a decision point. There's a point of action that we have to get to, and there's a point of action that we need to get other people to in order to release life and to release the kingdom and to do our job as salt and light. So one of my life slogans, I suggest it to you, is where's the follow-through? That's just a really useful phrase. I say it to myself all the time. All right, I've been thinking about this. Where's the follow-through? And I don't beat myself up with it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I have to look for the action step now. Or if I'm working with someone on some aspect of life, it's like, all right, what, what's, where's the follow-through? Not only is there follow-through, but what would be the right thing on which to follow through? Identifying the proper action step. There's got to be one. Sometimes there's some wisdom that goes into it. This is just a huge thing in life. It's a huge thing in your life. How many of you have like some, some desire or some project in life and you just feel like you've been carrying this around forever, but nothing's really gone anywhere with it? Anybody? Yeah. Where's the follow through? It's just a really useful evaluative question to ask you. When did you last take action on it? What's getting in the way? How can I help you with that? Does that sound familiar? Well, it's a sort of discipleship conversation. Uh, is, is what that is. Identifying the action step and, and moving on it. Um, I, uh, Craig Chong, my, my friend, one of the leaders of the church, is a, is a business consultant. Uh, it's his day job. And um, he uh, shares with me interesting case studies and different, because so much life insight in some of these things. And he was telling me recently about uh, this uh, corporate makeover that Payless Shoes did. You guys know Payless Shoes? And they sell shoes. I don't know if you know that, um, but uh, that's what they do there. And, uh, and their, their thing is that you pay less for them there than you would somewhere else. That's kind of their corporate shtick. Am I, am I getting this so far, Craig? 
And, but their sales were really dwindling, and you know, it's, you know, Amazon is, is hurting a bunch of retailers. I think this was kind of one of them. And so they did this corporate makeover. And, and what they did is, quick story, they identified what the action step was for all the employees in the store. And what they discovered is, if somebody comes in the store and you measure their foot, you know those little sliding thingies where you measure your foot size, you can put in there, it increased their sales by some incredible number, you know, I don't know, boosted their sales by 50% just by measuring people's feet. So they gave all of their sales employees one action item. Get the foot in the measuring thingy. <laughs> Measure the foot. And then they find that almost everything else takes care of itself. But that was the edge for them. Uh, that was the hard edge, and it, and it kind of saved the company. Go to pay less shoes. Walk in and see what happens. Uh, report back to me. Are they following through or are they not following through? Identifying the action step is often the key to revolution. Uh, and I want to talk a minute about how we move someone to the next step in life with God, which is to say how to move them forward into the life that God has for them, because we are supposed to be influences in the world. We are supposed to be salt and good. You've been following along. That was a gimme. Uh, so we've talked for a few weeks about how to start and how, how to have a discipleship conversation with someone, right? Everybody just try to rattle off the five discipleship questions. That kind of sucked, but I'm just going to pretend you did well on it. Um, but we should, you know, have ideas about good, helpful questions to ask. When should you be having discipleship conversations with people? All the time. Uh, with whom should you be having these discipleship conversations? What? Everyone. Turn to the person to your left right now and have a discipleship conversation with them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That would take too long. I'm preaching here. Is it appropriate to have discipleship question, Is it appropriate to have discipleship conversations at work? It's not appropriate. It's required. You have to. Otherwise, you're not being salt and light. You spend hours and hours of your life in this place, and you're not being salt and light. Jesus says that means you're good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's what our kind and loving Lord said. He's just really passionate about us being salt and light. Why? Because that's how lives get blessed and changed in the world. Um, so uh, how do you have such a talk uh, well, you, you start a conversation. We've talked about useful questions. We've talked about one-sentence testimonies. It's like, oh, yeah, I struggle with that in my life, too. You know what's made a difference for me? Just faith, man. Or you know what's made a difference for me? I have this Ohana group that I meet with, and they hold me accountable and push me for One-sentence God stories and really good questions. That's how you have a conversation. Just say, yeah! All right, we're warming up. We're getting there. So let's say you share this one-sentence God story. You have a discipleship conversation with people. Then what do you do? Then what do you do? Well, then you make an invitation. You come up with some sort of invitation for that person, some sort of action step that you invite them to take. You invite the person to the next step, and it's up to you to do that. That is the hard edge oftentimes. Uh, let's look at some scriptures. I mean... It, Everywhere you go and see Jesus' interactions with people, uh, you see this. 
Uh, there are uh, a few different ones on the back of your program. They'll be up on the big board. Let's take a look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Um, and this is the calling of Matthew. Jesus is going to call this guy. Some of you may know that Matthew was essentially a criminal, an extortionist, a tax collector, and a traitor to his people. And Jesus is going by his workplace. He's dropping by Matthew's cubicle one day. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That was a very action-filled interaction right there. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Lots of sermons could be preached on that story. In fact, I have preached quite a number of them. But the thing I want to focus on is Jesus' interaction with Matthew and then Matthew's follow-through. The situation was probably such that Matthew had been around Jesus. Jesus very likely knew who he was, right? Matthew had probably listened to Jesus' teachings in the crowd and stuff like that, right? And then one day, Jesus just decides it's time. And he goes by the cubicle and says, get up. Follow me now. Leave that. An invitation, a moment of decision. At what point does Matthew become a disciple of Jesus? When he was listening to him preach or when he got off his butt and followed? What do you think? At what point does Matthew start discipling people? Well, almost immediately he throws a party at his house and he invites over his friends who are a disreputable lot of people, other criminals and extortionists, and he brings Jesus there, and wherever you have uh, a Matthew party, wherever you have uh, a table with questions being asked, you get really interesting interactions, and we get, you know, one of the really famous interactions of the gospel. Jesus is defending tax collectors and, and kind of, well, kind of pissing off religious people, which he does like all the time, right? Um, Matthew goes from being a disciple to discipling in about a breath. And I think that's a great picture. He, Jesus provoked action in him, and he immediately started making invitations to other people. I think that's just a great model. Let's take a look at another story. Mark 5, uh, there's a little snippet down at the bottom of your program. It'll be up on the board. So this is a longer story, but you probably know it. This is the story in which Jesus casts out like 2,500 demons from one man. He had the legion of demons in him. So it's a very powerful story of deliverance and exorcism. And this is kind of the aftermath of the story. Jesus has just healed this guy, restored him to sanity, literally. Just, it's just an amazing encounter, a power encounter with the Lord. And uh, now Jesus has been invited to leave the area because he's been disruptive. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. It's like, Jesus, uh, that was awesome. I want to follow you. Which is a pretty good discipleship moment, right? So what's Jesus going to say? 
Well, he didn't say, follow me. Jesus did not let him, but said, go, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. When did this guy become a disciple? When did the demoniac become a disciple? When he followed through. Um, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which is, means the ten cities, uh, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He is the first foreign missionary in church history, this guy. And Jesus gave him absolutely no training or discipleship other than go do something. Uh, it, will, it will work out. A profound action step there. The safer call would have been, yes, come be one of my disciples, but not for this guy. Jesus said, look, you've been a social outcast among your people too long. Go face your greatest fear and tell them that you're changed and that will force you to tell the story and will force you to understand it on a deeper level. But take some action. Take some action. That's what you need, son. And it turned out to sort of change the history of, of that region. John 4. So here's a, a bigger one. It's a longer story. Uh, it starts on the inside of your program. Our last scripture, we'll just kind of blow through this. This is a story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Do you guys know this story? So this is Jesus, uh, a story about Jesus um, having an open spirit. When a Samaritan woman, Jesus is passing through Samaria, and he, he's alone. He sent his disciples off for food, and he's hanging out near a well of water at midday. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, Hey, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. We're enemies. <clears throat> How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, well, if you knew the gift of God that, and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, which is just an amazingly provocative thing to say. I don't know exactly how he came up with this, but he's like, well, you don't know who you're talking to, uh, but if you did, um, you'd be really refreshed. Living water, right? Why did he say it that way? I think it's pretty clear that Jesus, one thing he picked up right away is that this woman was not refreshed in life. You know, and some of you may know the context of the story. She was a lone woman coming to the well in the middle of the day. It's pretty clear that she's an ostracized woman. Otherwise, she would have come in the morning when it was cool with all of the other gals from the village. But this woman is an outcast. She probably looks like it. You know, some people just carry that, right? You see it on them. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to start a conversation with this gal. And in some way, I'm going to talk about being refreshed. And he's off, and he's running, and he figures out this really interesting way to do it. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's being a little feisty there. She's saying, well, listen, Jew, Jacob was our ancestor too. And uh, who do you think you are being all spiritual and uppity with me? Uh, that's sort of, sort of the attitude. But she's talking, which is, which is great. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life, which is, again, just utterly provocative. And if you're going to say something like this, I imagine you're going to say it with some authority. Otherwise, you're not going to pull it off, right? said, well, you know, actually, honey, I'm, I'm not talking about this water. What I'm talking about is something that transcends temporary refreshment. I'm talking about living forever. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that sort of refreshment. I imagine he looked her deep in the eyes. I imagine this, you know, this had some hard edge to it. He just powered through on this moment. Um, the woman said to him, okay, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And, and I imagine she wasn't quite in yet, right? But they were having a fruitful discussion, and I imagine she was something like, well, sure, show me. You know, if you're all that. You know, and I just kind of see her slopping water and just kind of not quite paying attention, but, but being this much engaged. He said, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Bang! Just got real. Action moment. An invitation. And this was kind of socially appropriate because I think what Jesus was saying is like, you know what? We are here alone, just me and you, man and woman, so why don't you go call your husband if you want to have a personal conversation? Just very provocative. Uh, I have no husband, she replied. That's why. And I think Jesus had already kind of figured this out. Like, well, if you had a caring family, it wouldn't look like you do, and you wouldn't be here when you're here. Uh, and maybe he was getting some words of knowledge about her uh, as well. Um, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, you're definitely not married. Who says that? Um, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. He just made it really real. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, let me change the subject, and, uh, and let's argue about religious stuff. And just, no, no, no. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your action steps. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what we do not know. We worship what we do know for restoration. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There's an awful lot there. Jesus is doing an awful lot of discipleship and education. We're not going to talk so much about that. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Which is the first time Jesus ever declared himself Messiah to anyone. And it's this foreign, beleaguered woman at a well where Jesus wasn't even supposed to be. But he's like, look, let's get right down to brass tacks. God is here helping you right now. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? I think that's where the conversation is going. And just then his disciples returned, oh man, your timing sucks. 
and they were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Good disciples, they know when to keep their mouths shut. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? When did this woman become a disciple? Is she a disciple? You know what happens here? Jesus hangs out in this village and a number of them come to believe in his message. And this is, by one way of accounting, the first revival in, in uh, the history of, of the gospel era. You know, the beautiful thing about this story is that he got the woman to follow through, didn't he? It went from go call your husband, the one you don't have, to I'm going to call my whole village because he released in her a hard edge. He released in her some sort of courage that went to action. He gave her grace. Like, yeah, that's right, you have no husband and you're pretty messed up. You are pretty messed up. But I'm the Messiah and I'm here for you today. Grace. But he called her to some sort of hard edges in life and she responded. I'm just sort of going through these things so that we get an impression of how these conversations work, right? There's plenty of grace in these conversations. Who goes to a tax collector and loves him? Who goes to the worst criminal on the street and, and offers him something great? But there is a hard edge to it. There is always an actionable invitation involved. There's always some kind of confrontation. There's always a moment where it gets real. And we cannot be shy about it because Jesus wasn't shy about it. In fact, that's how he changed lives and in this case changed an entire village. All right, here's what you do. Here you go. Here you go. Number one, you have an open spirit. It's the way of an open spirit. What's the way of the Lord? The way of an open spirit. You have to be open to kingdom stuff the whole time. You have to show up. You have to be there. You have, you have to be open no matter where you are. And if you're not, you know, you'll miss 98% of what the Lord is doing in your life. And you'll come to church and say, uh, you know, there's nothing going on with me. I don't know what to do in life. Where is God? Well, did you have an open spirit? Uh, Jesus had an open spirit. He's thirsty, he's at a well, and he's like, hey, it's entirely socially inappropriate that I should be here talking to a foreign woman of ill repute. Perfect! Kingdom time. Uh, and it is a requirement that you have discipleship conversations at work. It is a requirement that you have discipleship conversations at school. You know, I don't say that judgmentally. I just say, you know, you're salt and light. So to be who you are, you have to have an open spirit ready to, to get to it at, at any moment. And then you have conversations. Have an open spirit and make a conversation. Now we've talked about different techniques. We've talked about qu questions. You know how to do this. I say make conversation uh, instead of have conversation because very often we have to make conversations. And you know, just figure out some way to do that. I try to make conversations this week by, you know, I ask a, a guy about his tattoo um, and uh, because they're obvious, and if you put a tattoo on your body, you want somebody to notice it, I figure, right? So I just take that as an invitation, and I started the conversation. It went nowhere, but I just make conversation. Uh, I am not an extrovert, but I've learned to do this. Um, sometimes that skill is not making conversations, it's making the right conversation. 
and I have to do that a lot around church, right? Now, you know, actually, I don't want to talk to you about that. I, I want to talk about this. And uh, so I want to make the right conversation. And I have questions in my head uh, all the time that help me do that. Um, a lot of times, I think, when we're at work or at school, we know what the conversation should be about with the person. I had a conversation with a person in the church who's, who is a very capable discipler, and, and he was talking to me about this coworker, and, and he said, give me advice about my conversations with this guy at work. Um, and this guy was in a supervisory capacity, so I said, well, uh, tell me about the conversations you've had, what's going on in this guy's life, and, and, and the person I was talking to, the discipler, knew what was going on, knew what, what the guy's problem was. And I just said, well, have you talked about the problem? No. How do I get there? I, I don't know. Just bring it up. But that's the hard edge part, right? That's punching through the chaos part. You probably know. Jesus knew what the deal was with this woman at the well. At least he knew, essentially. You probably know, right, where the life challenge is for the person that's standing in front of you, or where the life passion is, stuff that you can speak into, you probably already know. Just make the conversation go there. Make the conversation go there. And we've discussed some questions that should be very helpful, helpful to you. Uh, and then finally, make an invitation. Specify some action step for the person. Make it real. What we're after is action, right? So hey, uh, why don't you meet me for lunch? We're going to have a Matthew party lunch. Uh, why don't you meet me for lunch, and we're going to talk about some questions uh, that might help you uh, get unstuck in life, or some questions that have been really useful for me. Uh, Jesus was constantly inviting himself to meals at other people's houses, um, or you know, that going to parties and having conversations there. So you can do that. Or here's an invitation. Why don't you come to my Ohana group? How many of you have an Ohana group? At, at Blue Water, you're attending one. This is a great reason to have one because we're not in this alone. So when you come to my uh, Ohana group, it's made, it's made a difference for me. That's all you got to say most of the time. I personally vouch for it. Why don't you come with me? Put yourself on the line a little bit. Or, why don't you come to church with me? But now testify when you make that invitation. Why don't you come to church with me? Because life changes when you're around people who are changing. Right? It's not hard. You can just say something like that. Come to church with me. I personally vouch for it. Take some of this water. It is refreshing. I promise you. It works. Be bold about that. Have an edge to it. Or, you know, if there's, some, if there's some problem in their life, you know, give, give advice. You know, well, why don't you go home and, and say to your spouse, I love you. I'll check with you on Monday. You're discipling, right? You're making a difference for someone when you're encouraging them uh, toward grace or faith in any way. Or how about this? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? Action step. I love it. I love it. You pray, pray to heal. And how did that go? Yeah, well, go check with your doctor. I'll, I'll check back with you next week. Action steps. Make some sort of an invitation. You know, ultimately, the invitation is 
why don't, why don't you try faith, and why do you make Jesus the authority? Sometimes we say Jesus Lord or Jesus Master. But what that is is just deciding that someone knows better than you do. There is a God. He sent us Jesus. Why don't you try it his way? And that's when we become followers. Right? I don't understand it all yet, but I'm going to start following. I'm going to start asking. I'm going to start seeking. I'm going to break through some of these doors instead of waiting for things to be flung open. You are now a disciple. You are now moving uh, in the kingdom of God. How many of you feel ready for this? How many of you can't be bothered to raise your hand? How many of you feel ready for this? When Jesus sent out his disciples without him for the first time, he said, oh, no, you're going to go to strange places for weeks at a time. You're going to take no food, no money, no clothes. You're going to tell people that God is here, and you're going to do miracles. Ready, break. Do you think they felt ready? No, they were risking their lives, but he gave them an action step, and I think this is an action step for us. How many of you had discipleship conversations with someone this week? All right. How many of you... Uh, are going to do more this week. You're being salt and light, right? That's the mission. And I believe we just need to ask and seek and knock for more. I think there's going to be more coming. Is there some special project or endeavor that you feel called to do in life? If so, what's your first step? Your first step is to be salt and light and have discipleship conversations. I don't care what your endeavor is. If your endeavor is to mow your front lawn, be salt and light uh, when you mow your front lawn. But second, what's your next action step on it? What's the next thing that you should do? That's really the cutting edge of your life. Huh? So let's pray. And what I'm going to pray is for this power of invitation. And I'm going to ask God to either speak to you about an invitation that you need to make to somebody. Maybe there's a conversation that needs to happen first. Maybe there's a testimony that you need to give first, personally vouch for something. But then there's an invitation that you need to make. And maybe God will make an invitation to you specifically this morning. Stand up, please. So this is how I start every day. Saying, all right, what are the action items today, Lord? What do I need to do? Who needs to be called to what? Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, equip us to be salt and light. And I pray, Lord, uh, for guidance this morning. Where, Lord, do we need to be more hard-edged? Go ahead and ask God yourself. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us an edge. Give us the edge that penetrates. Heart of grace and a life of action, Lord.